Let's remain standing as we continue to hear about the love of God. Our scripture today is found in Ephesians chapter 3. I'll give you a moment to turn there or open your electronic device there. We'll be starting in verse 14. And Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in Lake Avenue Church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I didn't say thanks be to God, huh? <laughs> thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's good to be with you this morning. I, on Friday, left here at 4 o'clock and drove out, and our choir's not with us this weekend because they're on a retreat, and you should probably join the choir just to go on the retreat. I was, I was wondering where the rebellious faction of Lake Avenue Church was, and you get a choir out of that loft, watch out. Um, and they had me speak to them a few times and then came home uh, just to catch a couple innings of the Dodger game before we came to Saturday night service. And I'm thrilled to be with you. And I've just been talking, talking, talking. So get ready because I'm, I'm amped. Um, but at the retreat, I was blown away. And I'm assuming there's something here I can use. But they had all their, their sheet music. And, and I have to admit to you, I don't know how to read music. And the whole time while they were practicing, uh, John Sutton or Dwayne uh, would say, uh, in measure 78, let's put a breath thing and then we're going to move that to a sharp and we're going to put that at C. And, and I'm holding the sheet music sitting in the back and it, it's like it's a foreign language to me. I have no idea what they're talking about. But, but it dawned on me that it's something I could learn. If I sat with Dwayne long enough or many of you as a very musical church and you would teach me how to read music, it's probably something that I could figure out. Uh, it's something that could make sense to me. And there might be a day where I could pick up a piece of sheet music and look at it and understand it. But the point of the music isn't just to be understood, is it? If all the choir did go on retreat, pick up their sheet music and make some notations, some tweaks and never practice and never experienced what the music was calling them to do, it would just be information that just sits idle. Music isn't meant to just know. Music is meant to be experienced, isn't it? And this is what's happening in Ephesians. Paul has just been laying out some pretty thick information, some pretty thick ecclesiology, we call it, the theology of the church. Paul has spent verses speaking to a very specific situation and calling this church to be different and so we find this prayer because Paul knows what we know very well, that it's all too easy to simply know something. It's entirely different to actually live it out and to experience it. And I think if there's a fair critique, 
a fair critique of the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States, it's that we know a whole lot about God. We know a lot of verses, we know context, we know scriptures, we know, we know, we know, but what we struggle to do is actually put that knowledge into experience, into real life, into something deeper as the scripture here, that it would soak into our inner being, that we would experience a fullness to the fullness of God in our lives. It's a struggle. Paul knew it was a struggle, and so he offers this prayer. And this prayer is not just relevant to that church at that time. I would argue that that prayer is incredibly relevant to you and to me and us here at Lake Avenue Church. And if you are a visitor with us this morning, welcome. But I believe that in the depths of my heart and in my journey with Christ this week, that there's a message for us today who call Lake Avenue Church our church. Because we're at a moment. Remember the context of Ephesians, a church full of Jews and Gentiles in a world and a culture of separation, a community of us versus them, a world with some people who have a longer context of who the living God is and in a world where some have just come to understand who God is, both new to Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and yet the struggle for them to be one church, one body, in this new expression through Jesus Christ of, of church, of worship, was such a struggle that Paul finds himself writing to them to help them live out more fully God's vision for them as a congregation. And it was messy. So up to this point that we've been looking at at Lake Avenue Church, Paul has spent the better part of Ephesians reminding them of their equal standing before God, reminding them of their equal need for Jesus, that the same grace that's given to one is given to the other. And then this crazy vision that we'll look at a little bit more, that, that it's about them actually coming together across those differences Equal standing before God, that's the new vision God has for how he will get his message out, and that's his new people called the church. A divided group, a group of people in a church with great differences whom God has brought together to be his people. I wonder what it would be like to be at a church like that. We are a church like that. There are a lot of churches this morning meeting who aren't who can come at this text and come at the book of Ephesians from a totally different perspective and have to search and understand and try to stretch their minds about what it would be like to be in that kind of church. And brothers and sisters, 120 plus years, Los Angeles County, Pasadena, California, 2018, we are this church. And so this scripture is so relevant to us because while these verses are written for the church in Ephesus, I want to give you some truths about this morning. And the first true thing I want to say is these verses are about you today. They're about you and they're about me as individuals. And here's where I'm going to say something that's going to drive some of you just crazy. I'm going to say something's more true, and I know something can't be more true. But if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm kind of like a jazz musician. I make up words. I don't know sometimes if I'm supposed to say Jenny and I or Jenny and me. I'm still working on that. Thanks for your grace. I'm sure many of you catch it every time, and it drives you nuts. Just see me as a jazz musician, and it will all be better. 
So it's true that these verses are about you as an individual today, me as an individual, but what is more true, these verses are about you and me and us. This prayer, these verses are about us at Lake Avenue Church, and essentially what we have in this is a prayer of becoming. It's Paul's prayer for this church to become the church, to become the people of God. And Paul knew the struggle was very real, and he offered this prayer that this particular church would move from just simply knowing information to someplace deeper, a deeper experience in the life that God had called them to through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at just these few verses today, I want to look at four aspects of this prayer that aren't just interesting facts for us about how the prayer is structured, but they're, they're words for you and for me today. This is for us. First thing I want us to notice is how the prayer begins. It's a, to become this people that God is calling us to be, we need to be a praying people. I think Paul models this right out of the gate when he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Three parts of this prayer real quick. For this reason, what reason? This grander vision of who the people of God are. This across differences, this Jew, Gentile, because of this reason, this vision that God has for his people, because of this reason, Paul knows it's hard, he says, I'm on my knees. When I came back, my first sermon back from sabbatical, I had another text that talked about being on the knees, and so we've, we've talked about this isn't just random language or he's trying to be more descriptive. This is to communicate a very serious, fervent moment for Paul. He loves these people. He loves this church, and this is a very important moment. He knows them well. He loves them deeply. In chapter 1, he says he hasn't stopped giving thanks for them. He prays for them. He prays for them to flourish, all while Paul is in jail. He's writing this from jail. I don't know how we cannot read, how we can read Ephesians and not get the sense that Paul is much more concerned about the church in Ephesus than he is for himself. I think Paul models true leadership in this moment. True leadership that says, I'm more focused on the future of us than I'm focused on the future of me. So for this reason, because this is a grand vision and it's difficult, I'm, Paul says, I'm on my knees praying. And then he throws in some redundancy just to make the point again and again and again that we're praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Jew, Gentile, church, every family, equal standing, we're praying to the same God. I know you are the chosen people, but we're all chosen now. We're all gifted grace through Jesus Christ. We're all one. He's being redundant, and he's reminding them that this is an us prayer, a prayer in the context of becoming the people of God, to be built together, to be this new temple with which God dwells. And so allow me to make some parallel comments to Paul's praying posture. For me, this is deeply personal. This is an incredibly important season for us at Lake Avenue Church because the same vision applies to us. For this reason, I have found myself this week on my knees praying for us at Lake Avenue Church. And I, in this moment, on this weekend, am much more concerned about us than I am about me. 
Because just like the church in Ephesus, we at LAC are in our own Ephesus moment in some ways. A church with great differences, a church in some spaces, divisions, literally in our bylaws, divisions, just crazy. A church with great knowledge of who God is, incredible wealth of knowledge here, incredible history of how God moves, but a church that is struggling to move beyond knowledge into an embodied and lived truth of who we are as the people of God. And I need you to know, this is deeply personal. I came here 19 years ago to work in the junior high ministry. I made 500 bucks a month. And now I make $700 a month doing But when I was on uh, my sabbatical and I was at Fuller this week on, on this, doing this thing and people ask how long I've been at Lake Avenue Church, I say 19 years and after they say, you don't look that old, I say, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I explained that really my journey at this church is just a really beautiful love story. That I came and I was called to love one little part and over my time here as I've gotten more exposure and been allowed to be in different spaces, I just, Jenny and me, Jenny and I keep falling in love. So I want you to know that 19 years, I, like Paul, care deeply about us, and I'm appealing to all of us this weekend, in all places, the places and the perspectives I totally understand, the places and perspectives I just don't even know or understand, that we would be on our knees and become more of a praying people, because are we a praying people? I know we pray. I know that all those Urbana names are going to get picked up by you and you're going to start praying for them. I know you do that. I know that when I'm out and about in town and I see a Lake Avenue family out to dinner, they, they pray. I, I know we're a praying people, but I, very specifically, I believe that God is calling you and me to become a praying church for our church right now. Not just prayers about me within we, but pure prayers about us as a church. And I'll be honest, there are weeks, aren't there weeks where we spend much more time talking about our church than praying for our church? Paul's prayer is for the us-ness of the church, to become the people of God that we're called to be. And to do that, we have to become a praying people, a praying people for one another, for us as a church. First observation. Second observation, verse 16. To become this kind of church, we need to be a spirit-strengthened people. And he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Remember the context. On paper, it's not going very well for the Ephesians church. There's clearly some disunity. There's some misunderstanding. They're not worshiping the way they should, so much so that they need to have a letter sent to them. And, and not only is this letter sent to them to deal with their current drama in the church, the leader of the movement is in prison. Like on paper, it's not looking good for the movement of Jesus. Paul is in prison. The church isn't doing well. And it's in that context that Paul says, that, that there's this opportunity that we might be, that they might become strengthened during this time. That God would strengthen them with power through the Holy Spirit to the depths of who they are in their inner being. The context of suffering and discouragement. He's just told him previous to this prayer, don't be discouraged because I'm in prison. I know it's not looking good for our movement right now. But don't be discouraged. This is a moment to be strengthened. For some of you, 
Not all of you, but for some of us, we might resonate with the idea that it's not looking very good for our movement right now. At a global level, a national level, and even at a Lake Avenue level, some of us feel that's not looking good. It was, it was stronger then or when this or this wasn't. And it's in that moment, if we acknowledge that moment, that we have an opportunity to be strengthened in this moment. It's not foreign to the text, and it's not foreign to churches. The church has been here before. This church has been here before. And, and let me just be very clear. There is, this is an is a interesting time to be alive, isn't it? I was talking to one of our college students who's doing an internship in D.C. this week, and he said something interesting. He goes, it's, everybody's just so polar. And I, I realized I'm not hip. I don't have the slang like I used to. And then, but I was smart enough to figure out what he was saying. We live in a polar world. Extremes on every side. Pain, loss is happening at a rapid rate. So I'm just not all that surprised that we feel that even some of us in our experience of church. And here's the thing. It's a hard time to be alive. It's a hard time to lead. It's a hard time to be a church leader. And I want to let you know something. For the ways in which we are leading that we could do better, I am, on behalf of all of our leadership, very sorry. We could have done the summer better. We're changing our Saturday night service to Sunday. We could have communicated better. I've been here 19 years. We don't do a lot of change here. So it's not like we have this list. And when we did that, let's just do it this way. So we're going to fumble sometimes and fumble bad sometimes and learn our lessons and try next time. I pray that you would have grace with us as a church and know that we, we know we can do things better. And we're probably going to fumble again. But it's not about just if we fumble or not. It's about apologizing. <laughs> I hope you hear that. But it's also, is this an opportunity for us to become strengthened? And I believe it is an opportunity for us to be strengthened through the Spirit, that the inner parts of us literally are transformed because of the season we are in. These are moments for us for the prayer, this prayer that we at Lake Avenue Church would be a people who are strengthened by the Spirit through times of discouragement, of times where the movement's not looking good. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pull the knowledge out. Remember, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Read our statement of faith. The Holy Spirit is to guide, to restore, to reconcile. Even the greatest difficulty at times of being his church, the Holy Spirit can lead us towards strength and healing. I believe that. To be strengthened is the opposite of being discouraged in this context. This inner being word, this inner man, maybe your translation, speaking of this, this sanctification, this opportunity to become more fully the people that God has called us to be at Lake Avenue Church. This is an opportunity for us to pray that God would strengthen us, that we would experience healing, hope, restoration, reconciliation. So praying people, spirit-strengthened people, especially in times of discouragement. Third observation in this prayer, to become a rooted and growing people. 
being rooted and established in love, that we may have power. And then I think this is just so incredibly intentional. Together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This prayer is calling us to be a unified people. And in our unifiedness, jazz, in our unifiedness, that we would grow deep in our faith in Jesus, and not just deep, but that we experience the, the, the wideness, the massiveness of God's love with one another and in this world. Timothy Paul Jones is a, a theologian, um, a professor, and he pulled out one of the most profound observations of Ephesians that I think applies to this. He said, when you read through Ephesians, especially the front part, you see all this temple language, this architectural language. Right, remember a few weeks ago, Christ is the chief cornerstone. Uh, a few weeks after that, that, that being together, we're built up to be the temple. And in this text, being rooted and established, that has both a, uh, an agricultural, and the plants will make sense in a moment, but, but more than that, an architectural idea of a foundation, that we would be a people with a strong foundation and deep roots in Jesus, and it's temple language. He said this was a temple-familiar community. For the Jews, they were very familiar with the temple in Jerusalem, place of worship, a physical location that marked their, their connection to God. It was very much, they, they had in mind in a context of worshiping in a temple. And, and in the Gentile world at that time, there was the temple of Artemis, which was a cult, the cult of Diana at the time, a, a fabulous, strong building. You can you Google that and read all about it you want, but it was a, a pagan temple in a sense. Uh, so now Jesus comes on the scene. Both of them have a temple context, and the book of Ephesians is basically doing something that would blow their mind because he's saying God's new vision for the people of God has nothing to do necessarily with a physical location, but that you together are the temple, being built together. For them, to conceive of a God that didn't have a building would have been mind-blowing. And the image that's put forth in this Ephesians text is that, no, it's, it's the Jew and the Gentile that when we come to Christ, we become family. And as we become family with one another and we grow in our faith together and we're rooted in Jesus together, that we actually become the representation of God's community, his living temple. It's no longer a location, but we're a people. And because that is true, together with all the Lord's people, isn't just a call to be nice to one another across differences. It's not just a, a lofty hope that, hey, together with all people, just so that it's, it's comfortable for you at church or it's politically correct. No, it's God's vision for us as his people across those differences as we come together in relationship to God, relationship with one another. We are the very expression of God. And that is why broken relationships and broken trust with one another is so significant. Great strategy, great strategy to mess up our message is just get us in broken relationship with one another. Great strategy to break down our witness or our opportunity to declare Jesus to this world is if we don't trust one another. And it's been going on for years and years and years in the church of Jesus Christ. 
And it continues to be a struggle for us that we live in a broken world and we have broken relationships. And what happens when there's real break of friendship, real break of relationship? There's, I'll give you two very specific examples that happen this, well, they're not specific, but they're specific. <laughs> Here are two things that happened this week that are completely true. I was hurt and experienced pain from someone in this church. There's one. Here's the second true thing. I caused pain and hurt to someone else in our church community this week. It's a week in which I experienced hurt. It's a week in which I added to somebody's hurt. I have two choices in that moment with both those very different circumstances and situations. I can be hurt by someone and I can ignore them, I can write them off, I can start a narrative about, about how I think about them that makes me uh, allow the distance. For the person I hurt, I can hear that I hurt, I can be defensive, I can rationalize and go, you shouldn't be hurt, if you would have just read the email, you would have been, you know, or whatever the issue is. Or I can do what we're called to do, to become rooted In love, both of these experiences in conjunction with studying this prayer are leading me to a deeper place of seeking Jesus, of being rooted in Jesus. Both instances are causing me to seek love and restoration and reconciliation. Both instances, I can't view them as done with random people, but they're my brothers. They're my brothers in Christ, and it's our relationship that matters for our witness in this world. The ways in which we are called in times of broken trust and broken relationship are so counter to the wisdom of this world that gives you and me an out at any moment to say, I'm hurt, I'm out. The prayer here is that we would become rooted and growing, rooted and established in love, and that we may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I need you and we need one another to grasp that. And so my question for you and for me is, it's, a, it's an okay week for me because I'm preaching on this text and I can say this week I'm growing and the question is, are you growing? And I got these plants here and I love succulents because they're so easy to care for. It has been my experience that you get a small succulent. If you come to our backyard, we've got a whole little thing of them that we've taken something this small, or you can even take a clipping of a succulent and plant it and it will grow, but they will only grow as big as the container that they're in. This one's not gonna get much bigger. It's not until this plant moves into something bigger that it will grow. And it's not until this plant is moved into something bigger and apparently be transformed to a totally different succulent <laughs> Tough week, guys, tough week. <laughs> that it will grow even bigger. I think this is a great image of what it means to grow in Christ and the choice that you and I have in our own growth. 
I admit to you, I have plenty of moments, seasons, situations where I just want to stay in this pot. To move over there feels really different. Feels really big, feels, this, this I know. When I, when I go into these two, I've got to deal with things I don't know. I have to, it's patient. It means there's times of growth. It, 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 this one feels at home, doesn't it? If you're not aware, and visitors, this is why I want you to stay here. This is, we are not a, we have two choices right now. We can be a big old church with a bunch of small pots. And then, you know, occasionally somebody leaves, moves, and we hope somebody else comes in. Or, or we could do this. God wants us to do this. We'd be so rooted in Jesus that we would experience growth as a congregation, and not just by adding a bunch of more little pots, but by experiencing the growth that God takes us, especially when we go in a context that is new and different, and it is a new and different world. We are in a big, big pot in Los Angeles. We are in a big, big pot in a world with the internet. There are perspectives and information and things that, that I have never had to deal with most of my life that I have to deal with, and I have to understand where Jesus fits in that, and it challenges what I know sometimes, and I encourage you, and I encourage me to resist staying there and be on a journey towards here. I believe for us at Lake Avenue, many of us are in this process of being replanted right now into something bigger here. Final observation a call to become an overflowing with love people, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just enough to know. Difference between knowing and experiencing. In fact, the prayer here is that you would experience love in such a way that it wouldn't even make any rational sense. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does it mean for us to love when it doesn't make sense, to love when it's not deserved? I was at Fuller this week. I was on a panel. It was a humbling moment because half of the panel was what were considered younger leaders and the other half were older leaders. I was in the older leader one. <laughs> I do take blood pressure medication. Um, it's all your fault. Um, and my food choices. I know, I know. Okay. And there was this, this young woman on the panel who was a young leader who said some of the most beautiful and profound answers to what's it like to be your age and, and, and to desire to serve in a church. What's God doing in your generation? What do these older leaders need to know about you? And I thought she was just the most profound person I've heard in a long time. And so afterwards, never met her before the panel, I went up to her and, and thanked her for her words and she asked where I served. And that's a tricky question sometimes, especially at Fuller. Um, and I said, I'm at, I'm at Lake Avenue Church. And I was so blessed. She goes, I came to that church a few weeks ago. Um, and in my looking for a church, it's been the best experience. I felt so welcomed. I've had three follow-up calls. I said, is that too much? She goes, not yet. I go, okay. <laughs> I don't know if she'll be here or not in the long term, but I know our capacity for love is out of this world. I know it because I've experienced it. 
our capacity to love is insane. And if we can tap into that together, watch out. The prayer here is that this church and the prayer here for us is that we would be an overflowing with love people. Now, I've been thinking about all week how to apply this message. In fact, at one point, you were all going to get succulents and take them and go plant them. But that was about $4,000, and I didn't think that that would be a good use of resources. At one point, I had five different things, five different steps we could take. And as I looked at those steps, I realized that the interesting thing with a text like this and the interesting thing of, of, a, of a sermon series called Becoming, that we're in this process of becoming something that we know we're not yet, that even as I looked at the five different next steps we could take, I was overwhelmed that it felt so legalistic. That if you just did these couple of things, then we would be more loving. Or if we just did this one thing or you read this article, then we would, and I looked at the list and I had no peace on it because I felt that one of the things that I am learning about is that the, the tool of the enemy is to use shame to motivate. In Genesis, before sin entered the world, I think it's an important detail the scripture gives us that Adam and Eve were naked and did not experience shame. In our perfect relationship with one another and with God, there is no shame. There is no, I could have, I should have, I'm not, I, I'm not all that God called me to be. It, it, it doesn't exist. When God speaks to his people, he doesn't use shame. Shame is a tool of the enemy. Shame is a tool of the evil one. So in a sermon about prayers of becoming something we know we're not, it's clear that we live in a tension of not being the people we are just talking about. So if God doesn't use shame to motivate us, how is it we are to hear from God? And I'll give you the new word for me about understanding God, and that word is invitation. Two weeks ago, I got a text from my wife in the middle of the day that we had gotten a wedding invitation from a former intern of ours here. He was with us just for about a year and a half. He lived in our home for six weeks in between jobs, and he is now just leading the world up in Menlo Park, at Menlo Park Press, doing great things for Jesus. And he's, he's getting married, and we got invited. He's been gone. Henry was about two, I think. Henry's 10 now. He's been gone eight years. In those eight years, we've maybe talked a couple of times. Nothing deep. We knew he was dating someone, and so to get a wedding invitation from him, it was such a, a moment of surprise, and I felt so special. You ever get an unexpected invitation like that where you just feel so special? They thought of me. They want me to be there. I believe that's how God speaks to his people. That you and I, all the time, there are invitations from God and he's saying, I want you. I want you. I died for you. I love you. I don't want you to live in the tension you're living in. There's a, a different way of living. There's a way of freedom. I don't want you to hold on to all that anxiety. I want you to give it to me. That there's this constant invitation from God, but in a world that speaks in shame, we can never hear that invitation very clearly. And so it would have been easier or more clear or more measurable for some of us if I would give, just do these three things and we'll be better. But I sense God inviting us as a church into something together. And, and what is it? 
It's to pray this prayer for our church for the next 40 days. That will roughly take us to Thanksgiving. Okay, well, you can read it. It'll take a minute. How often should we be praying it, Jeff? 15 minutes, okay? Seriously. Our address is 393 North Lake Avenue, and my hope for us is that each one of us would pray this prayer for three minutes in the morning, nine minutes sometime during the day, and three minutes at night for Lake Avenue Church. That for 15 minutes a day for 40 days, we could say, we need to pray for us. That God invites us to pray for us. That the prayer that Paul penned in the Ephesians church is the prayer for our church and that we together would pray it. The band can come forward. We are going to sing this final song. And during the song, if you need to sing, sing. If you need to be quiet, if you need to sit, you need to stand. And the question I have for you is, do you sense an invitation from God to join in this 40-day journey as a church? To say for 40 days, I'm maybe going to stop talking about us. I'm going to pray for us. 15 minutes. You can go 16 if you want. It's fine. You can go longer. Some of you already do this, and I want to say thank you. But what would it look like over the next 40 days? What might God do in us? What kind of strength and strengthened by the Spirit might we be as a church? What kind of unity might we have by just praying together? for a season. So as we sing this last moment, I ask you to, to ask God if he's inviting you in on this kind of commitment. And I'll come up and close our service.